G'day and welcome to Runners Radio, brought to you as always by Runners.com, your running coach anytime, anywhere. I am your host and head coach, Rick Mirabella. And with me today is one of the world's leading osteo and physios. He'll be embarrassed me saying that, but he is the founder and director of the movement assessment tool. Steve says, if you're not testing, you are guessing. He's also the host of the 21st Century Physio podcast, and he will be a semi-regular on our show with our Coach's Corner segment. He is a wealth of knowledge, and I welcome Dr. Stephen King. Thank you very much, Richard Diego. Oh, very good from you. Very good. You were gonna, you were gonna pull that one out. Were you? Good from you, King. <laughs> I like that. Now, look at if I'm, I can't even concentrate, listeners. The size of this man's biceps, as I as I look across the room, are just penetrating. Why are you so veiny? What's what's with the veins? Uh, probably not enough running at the minutes, and uh, a little bit too much time in the uh, in the gym doing the strength work, which is crucial for runners as well, though, because I'm sure we'll get to today. Yes, but like I'm not sure we run on our arms. No, it's, it's definitely something I'm working on, and uh, I'm going to try and uh, complete my first marathon on the, on my hands uh, in the next 12 months. Well, I reckon you could. Now, we talk so much about the big prime movements and the single leg work and, and running mechanics, but for a man of your knowledge, bicep curls aren't what we normally mention. Uh, a lot of people say they aren't functional, but coming into summer uh, this time of year in Melbourne, Rick, uh, they're, they're quite functional if you're planning to head down to the beach. So uh, they can definitely form a part of any well-rounded training program, that's for sure. I did give you a bit of an intro. You've, you've travelled the world the last five or six years, spreading the message of the movement assessment tool. Me and Kingy, myself and Kingy have worked together, shared athletes for the last seven or eight years, He's taught me so much. Um, I know he can be facetious at times, but he has taught me so much. Um, and just, just probably bringing us all, all of us coaches and and physios into the 21st century, which is the name of his of his very popular podcast. So I guess we'll just begin with the, not talking too much about the assessment tool, but testing in general for runners. Um, and you can be generic as you want at the moment. Testing in general. And for the listeners out there who... More, more than likely are training in a weights room. Why do we test? I think for you know, runners in particular, they love data. Uh, and data you know, for runners typically uh, revolves around, obviously, the Ks and the times they're doing and how often they're getting out, the cadence maybe, some of those things. But uh, testing is also important to make sure you've got the foundation to be able to do that as well. So a lot of the times the condition of runners uh, you know, isn't up to where it needs to be to fulfil the amount of Ks that they want to um, put out. So by using data, you can uh, make some better decisions about whether you're ready to uh, you know, go out and run that first 5k that you've ever run or whether you're going to go and uh, complete a marathon in a PB time uh, it's really important to make sure you have that data and you know, there's some simple things you can do at home to see you know prepare if you are ready to uh, to get into that you know you want some things you can do you can go and put your toes up against the wall and touch your knees to the wall and just work your way back and find the point where the knee just can't touch the wall anymore uh, and then if you put your other foot right next to that foot and try and push the knee on the other leg to the wall, it should be able to touch it. If it can't touch it and it's bigger than two centimetres different side to side, 
look, there's potentially, you know, you need to uh, do something to try and improve your ankle mobility around the ankle. Likewise, if you can touch it and you move back and there's more than two centimetres difference, that's sort of, you know, giving us an indication that maybe there's, you know, something we can do to improve the flexibility. Uh, obviously, runners, that ankle is the first point of the body that uh, comes in contact to the ground. So it's really important that we've got uh, good efficiency through there. Um, and for a sport that's, you know, quite symmetrical like running, uh, we also want to make sure that the symmetry is, um, you know, look at the research is around those, you know, less than two centimetres different side to side. Which is which is massive. And I think with, with what you've... We've worked together in the private sector for a very long time, but also shared a lot of um, footballers as well that... We've, um, we've worked together, me on the conditioning and Kingy on their rehab or, or prehab and strength work. So with that with that kind of basic home testing is, is some of the stuff that Steve is really good at um, promoting and just trying to make every athlete safe. He, he, he doesn't necessarily need to see them seven or eight times, just making sure that we're, we're touching in on where we are currently. So I think that's the biggest thing that's changed in our industry over the last decade. Um, and you'd be a big one, and there's a lot of people still not doing it. But if we can, if we can test regularly to see where we are, then we can safely progress. Number one, number two, with your mobility testing, I love it. Let's touch on a bit of strength testing pre-injury because I think too many people wait till they've got a niggle and they try to run through it, try to run through it, try to run through it. This is definitely, if I'm talking to distance runners, they're the worst offenders. So let's just pretend I've got a listener on the line that's a 60 kilometer to 80 kilometer a week runner that's done nothing but progress and feels amazing. But we probably both know sitting here that something is around the corner. So what would you suggest to that athlete? Well, you know that 75% of runners are gonna get injured every year. Uh, and a lot of the runners out there aren't doing, as we mentioned before, aren't doing any conditioning to prepare their body to be able to run. So a good test that someone can do at home to assess their strength to see if it's where they need to be to run is something like, you know, just sit on a chair as we're doing now, Rick, uh, with the chair at about knee height and just uh, lift one leg off the ground and see how many times you can stand up and sit down. And so ideally you should be able to do at least over 20 uh, to be able to run and to be able to clock up those uh, kilometres through there. So looking at around those strength measures, that can give you an indication if you're where you need to be to be able to uh, clock up those kilometres. So it's a really important thing and something that you can see really easily if there is if there is some strength work there to do. The sing, that's single leg, Kingy, to clarify. Single leg. So that, that we make sure, listeners, that single leg stuff that, uh, to be honest, like I've probably only done for the last six or seven years, and that's um, no coincidence with Steve. So for the first seven years of my coaching career, we were doing it, but we certainly weren't doing it um, anywhere near the amount we should have been doing it, all my athletes. So the last seven years working with Kingy has been brilliant for us um, from a selfish perspective, and I'm really big on spreading this world as well, uh, word as well. We talk about load for our leg. We talk about running being a continuation of hops. We talk about the perfect cadence, 180 steps a minute. Give us some strength loads. I think it's, is it six times our body weight for our quad, seven times soleus, is that right? Seven times our body weight for our soleus. These kind of measurements, three or four times for our glutes. Give us some, look, give us some loads. And, and maybe just for these athletes that aren't lifting, obviously don't, we don't go from from one to 100 straight away, but give, give the guys at home maybe a couple of basic not just at home, some weight room, some weight room exercise they might be able to start with if they're not lifting at all. 
Yeah, that's some pretty impressive stats there, Rick. I think uh, my my head is full of knowledge, Stephen. It, it is. I'm aware you're very Rayman esque when it comes to comes to those sort of numbers. Uh, as you said, a lot of force goes through your body when you run. You know, one and a half to two times your body weight. Uh, so again, going back to that last test we just talked about, we you know standing up and sitting down on one leg. If you can't control your own body weight, you know, if you can only do five or less, you know, even ten. We said twenty is the ideal number. You're not going to have that strength to be able to tolerate those forces going through your body. So, you know, some other good goals you can do is, you know, or some good exercises you can start on. Something like, you know, the isolated stuff, split squats, you know, single leg leg press. You know, I'm very big on the unilateral exercises, lunges and walking lunges. Those type of exercises, especially with load, building up to those sort of weights that you need to be able to tolerate that one and a half to two times body weight. Like if you jump onto the leg press leg, Rick, you can, if you've got access to it and you're training on it at home, you know, something you can put, do, put on there. Put your body weight on the leg press. How many times can you press that? We know actually from the research, one and a half times your body weight, you should be able to do 10 uh, on each leg, sink one leg at a time. So that's a good guide. If you go into the gym and go, okay, I weigh, you know, hopefully not weigh 100 kilos in running marathons, but there are some bigger guys. You know, I'm going to go put 150 kilos on there and I'm going to see if I can get 10 repetitions out. Obviously, doing that sensibly. Yeah, sensibly is the key <laughs> there and, and periodising that. We're not advocating walking to the gym on day one and trying to lift <laughs> one and a half times your body weight. But Definitely not. The body weight sit to squat is, is, is brilliant, is brilliant way to start. And just the mobility test on the ankle is a brilliant way to start. And with this initial coach's corner, Kingy's going to help us mostly on our biomechanics over the next few months. But this is a really good place to start. And no matter where you are in your athletic journey, you you could be um, in the weights room for the last 20 years. But it's just nice to be reminded and validated and just to listen to Steve. And uh, he's forgotten more than most of us know about this kind of stuff. So it is really good stuff. And the biggest thing... I can't preach it enough because you've got, well, we've got a couple of hundred runners lifting with us once a, uh, once or twice a week and the last, there's no coincidence that the last six years, seven years, they've needed a lot less treatment. They still get in for their treatment and their work, but there's no coincidence since they've been consistent in their, their lifting that they're clearly a lot less, uh, more injury free, sorry, and just more efficient as well. Like, we're not going to get into that kind of stuff today with um, elastic recall and running efficiency and stuff, but the injury prevention is the key to performance because continuity is the key to performance. So, if, like we said, if he's, he's 75% of athletes are breaking down every year, how are you ever supposed to get any continuity? You look at the best runners in the world, currently, they all lift, okay? You're kidding yourself if you're not in the weights room. Kingy, with the testing, now, with athletes who are serious about you might want to break four hours in the marathon, you might want to break three and run a bust and qualifier, is there any, is there any, uh, this is a weird question and a question without notice, but specifically with um, speed, so the, say a, a person trying to run a 1500, would their testing be similar to a fast marathon or someone trying to run a 100k ultra, for example? Yeah, so obviously you're going to need to have uh, different uh, physical capacity to be able to perform those things. But some of the base testing is still going to be the same. Some of the strength and flexibility testing that we've already talked about is going to be important. Uh, Obviously, with those longer um, athletes, we're going to probably work and test more around the muscle endurance qualities than maybe we will someone who's doing a shorter distance under that 1,500 metres or so. So that would be the main difference there. Probably in regards to training, again, it's going to be reasonably similar from a gym point of view. For most of the time, the simple stuff works. So for runners, uh, heavy and slow, 
So, you know, if you've got a base there already, something around this, you know, six to eight reps, quite heavy, building on your strength, obviously making sure you fit that in with your running load so you're not spiking your workload, uh, which we might touch on a little bit uh, later. But if you haven't got that foundation, around that 12 repetitions is, you know, um, sort of a moderate load and slow is probably the place to start, as well as then adding in some higher impact plyometric type exercises that really complements well. Because as you mentioned, running is just basically, you know, hopping uh, each step you take. And that would be low load plyo, no load plyo, unloaded plyo. So that that um, that mix is really good and simple. Always does work. We don't have, like the big nine or ten exercises. Always do work. And the single leg stuff is an absolute necessity. Now, with the testing, you can, as a physio yourself, and you can really prescribe your exercises to your patients. Is there anything with a distance runner? that you've seen that is that is unlocked they've tested and it's anomaly like is there anything that we could be talking about that we're, we're missing like is there anything that is it all pretty standard so the standard di- di- give us the the top four or five running injuries like i could reel them off but i'll let you and is there anything that testing and strength training won't solve yeah, look, a lot of the time injuries around runners come down to two things, either inadequate load management or inadequate rest. Often it's a combination of two there. Uh, a lot of the time, again, the basics you know, probably work well most of the time, and that goes for testing as well. A lot of the time the things that we're going to find that are the main problems are pretty consistent across the population because they are pretty – it is a really reproducible sport, so you are going to find similarities there. Mm. Uh, you know, you can get dig deep into more power-based data. If you've got a good, um, you know, team that you work with that does use some technology, um, for instance, to assess, uh, or if you do wear some of those sensors at home, looking at some of that um, ground impact forces and those type of things with sensor technology these days – can give you some insight that you know before you couldn't actually identify with the naked eye. So uh, these days, especially as it becomes more uh, affordable uh, technology, as it becomes accessible for everyone, I think we're going to be able to manage people's workloads a lot better. Um, and don't forget the importance of the basics in regards to you know rest. I think runners often don't get adequate rest. We know that each time you go out for a run, you do get some you know, bone stress through there and that does take time to recover and to remodel bone takes 12 weeks or so. If you're not getting an adequate rest block in there or a deload phase um, through your running cycle, you know that's where some of those bone stress injuries come. Most of the time for runners, the key injuries, as you mentioned, bone stress injuries, you know, stress fractures, those repetitive use, or your tendon type things. So we often see some of those you know, shin splints, Achilles tendon problems, plantar fascia, um, patella or knee pain they're some of the more common run injuries that you'll see and they're around uh, you know inadequate loading as we said or inadequate rest definitely and that's what I was getting at I was trying to lead you into the the different forms of like, like the the technology and that kind of thing but with the those five or six big ones patellofemoral shin splints plantar fascia Achilles tendinopathy those ones a lot of them can be like absolutely avoided by by resting but also by by not spiking our load too quickly, which I, I feel like we get carried away with load and intensity. So let's not let's remind ourselves what the East Africans do, which is they they'll sleep often, they'll sleep three times a day. I know we can't do that in the general population, but we we what they do is they'll run many. They're racing at two minute fifty three minute k's, but they are running often at four fifty five minute k's. So. You don't always have to go out close to race pace on your run. So that's the, 
you need someone to program that properly and make sure if you are doing your own programming that you're having a good look at the last, like even the last month cycle and making sure that you're not leading yourself down a, a pretty dangerous path. No matter how good you feel now, like Kingy said, there's always muscle fiber stress, there's always bone stress. We need stress, but we need rest to grow. So if you're not resting, you could be lifting three times a week, but if you're going out and running five sessions a week hard and having minimal easy runs or cross training or recovery runs, then you're pretty much on a knife edge the whole time and that's not a good place to be. With those common injuries, is there's one or two, this is subjective I guess, that's um, I guess harder for you guys uh, in your field to manage when they're already gone. So, so the, 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 the horse is bolted, the patient's come in absolutely flared up to the shit house. What's, which one's the hardest one out of those five or six? Oh, look, I think any of those tendon issues are quite similar in regards to their management. And once they get past a certain point, usually those two to three weeks, especially if it's a new one, if you've just continued on with that discomfort there for a period of time and they get um, you know, into a phase where the tendon actually starts to change, we know from the uh, imaging studies and stuff, um, they become really challenging because they then take three or four months to actually remodel and get back to where they need to be to be able to tolerate the loads and stresses there so those tendon ones are often some of the hardest ones uh, to manage in runners just because you do need to modify your load and your, especially your running load for a period of time if you have taken it too far so early interventions best there if you do start to you know get some of that pain or discomfort around the shins around the front of the knee or under the foot uh, definitely go and get it checked out early because uh, if you can get some intervention in place, you can drop that load early, you can stop some of those longer term uh, consequences of being out of the sport for three or four months. Can't can't um, back that up more enough. Like the, the shin splints is one that seems to be common when um, with people that are quite fit, but just, just aren't used to the distance running. And as soon as they back their volume off or, or they, they get some awareness, so they might get in and they start might lift in and get some work done, um, like you can really keep running. Like people, you don't have to stop running. No. Cross training and all that stuff's fantastic for keeping condition. But if you can nip it in the bud early, like Steve's saying, and not trying to, not trying to push through because it, you think it's the tough thing to do, you're only going to end up in a world of hurt uh, post. Tell me about plantar fasciitis. I feel like it hasn't. I don't know if it's just because we do most things right. I feel like it's certainly not as prevalent as it was ten years ago. Is that the what your take on it in your clinics, or is it? I think people are a lot more sensible about their um, running loads these days. They don't tend to go and do too much, you know, too soon often. So there's a lot of apps and technology around. You know, you've got some great running, uh, you know, running programs where you take someone who hasn't run before and build them up slowly. So I think we'd probably not see it a lot uh, regards to that. Um, but also I think uh, people are more aware of the need for strength work uh, when you are running as well, which I think helps to condition the tissue to those forces, you know, that two times your body weight plus that's going through your leg when you're running. We are talking a lot about strength. And if you, are, if you have been following us, even from a distance, you probably know that I do talk a lot about this. And because and my biggest thing is keeping athletes on the park. So Kingy's not just pushing my barrow, he knows that it's the only way to go. And this is a man with more degrees than I've had hot dinners. So he definitely knows what he's talking about. In relation to moving off plantar fascia, but we're talking to, because we just want to go from a baseline here. 
athletes, this is a question I get asked at least weekly, and I'm telling every athlete that everyone's different. Running shoes. I know it's a it's a bloody topic. It's a hot topic, and Christopher McDougal, McDougal obviously changed the game a little bit with the uh, minimalist to the to the minimalist. Now, I wear very very light runners, very very light ones, and most people do. I think that run often, but what is your take? And I know what it's going to be, but you can tell the listeners. Yeah, uh, the answer is it depends. Mm. Um, and it depends on lots of factors. I don't think anyone's necessarily got injured because of a pair of shoes that they've put on. There's Any injury has multiple components or factors which end up to someone being uh, injured. It's easy to blame the footwear, but mm. a lot of the time there's a lot of other things at play that probably contribute to that person. The footwear is just an environment. It's no different to changing your running surface from going, you know, running on the treadmill to running outside to running on the grass to the beach. They're different environments to work in. And we know that the body, uh, you know, likes... Controlled variety, I guess, as well. So I usually recommend people wear different types of shoes to put different stresses uh, through the body, and so their body doesn't just adapt and get really good at one thing. They've got some you know, room for error, as a uh, better way to put it, uh, in their running ability and their strength and capacity. That is awesome, and that's exactly what we say. If look, I know money might be an issue, but we do try to rotate for at least three pairs of runners. Our guys that are doing over 60k a week, absolutely. If you're running for fitness. Um, not as necessary, but they're definitely two pairs. Um, obviously, a lighter pair of not racing flats, or what doesn't even have to be as light as racing flats. Maybe a mid-type shoe, like a trainer, but still lighter, and then maybe maybe a bit more bulky one. It just I like I like mixing the the shoes up. If you're not sponsored, you can wear different brands as well. And all those uh, Kingy sponsored, he's got Nike all over him as we speak. Can we get a bit of a kickback from that? No, I d- don't think so. I don't. Uh, I don't think there's any affiliation there just yet. And is there any danger of getting a top that fits you? He's got. A, he's, I mean, he's in a t-shirt. Six sizes too small. Listeners, I'll put a visual up on the show notes. But look, three or four different shoes ideally. But exactly what Kingy said: mixing the terrain up on your long runs, mixing the terrain up. D- please never go the same long run route every time more more for psychology than anything but just definitely mixing up terrain and variety our body loves variety but control variety he says it much better than me doesn't he listeners but what he said is absolute gold so take that out of that the big i want three takeaways for someone today that is listening to this and their ears have spiked up and going oh this is actually um probably me all over if they're on the edge now, I know we've probably covered it, but if they're on the edge right now, so they've got a marathon in eight weeks, they're feeling great, but they're just starting to get a little bit of awareness, but they've never touched a weight in their life. <laughs> they might never have gotten a dry needle or a massage. Give me three things that's going to get this beginner through to their debut marathon. Well, the first thing you can do is probably get some good advice if you haven't had any advice already and there is some concern there. Uh, second, control the thing, the, the 99 percenters as we like to call them. You know, make sure that your recovery is good so you're getting adequate amounts of sleep. You know, the research shows people getting less than, you know, six to seven hours are much more likely to get injured than people getting seven uh, or eight or more. Uh, so that's one thing that you can control. Make sure your diet's good, that you, you know, I find a lot of runners don't eat enough for the amount of energy they're expending and for recovery that's a really crucial part. Uh, minimise your stress, you know, some of those things that, you know, um, work systemically on the body. And uh, if you're eight weeks out from the marathon, uh, whether you start a strength program, it really depends on your running load too. Because again, we don't want to spike your workload definitely by more than, you know, 20 or 30% in a week, because you're not going to be able to have the recovery you need 
for your body to adapt to that in such a short period of time. So nothing wrong with probably starting a little bit, you know, maybe increase, you know, 10% or so uh, of your work in a week, but no more than that. That's that's a great answer. Definitely, I would, we've got people coming in here often that want some strength work and definitely not that close to a marathon in my opinion either. Yeah. But certainly some of the stuff Kingy's told you already, the mobility is crucial. Like you can you can do my ankle mobility, hip mobility. You can definitely do single leg squats to the bench. You can definitely do some basic anterior and posterior core stuff, body weight. But definitely post race is the time, like a two weeks post the marathon, you can commence a big six month block of lifting and and that would be your best time to start. I knew you were going to say that with the eight weeks. That's because people, I don't want them going to the weights room tomorrow <laughs> and lifting heavy. But so true with the sleep, we say it all the time. And I know it's some of you guys work long hours and we've all got kids and it is quite tough with the sleep. But even if we prioritise like a 20-minute nap, Kingy knows that I'm the king of the nap. I love <laughs> a day. Heck, it's a daytime nap, Stephen. But the, a nap is gold and I think it's underrated. Um uh, we can't, we go back to the East Africans twice in in an episode, but they literally sleep like they just sleep. They might do triples like three sessions a day, but they'll just sleep because they understand. Like they don't know physiology, but they get it. They know that they need to sleep to repair and to uh, regenerate. So they're the they're the biggest thing, sleep. And the the thing we speak about often, and if you've seen any of my runners uh, videos, is the the stress and the external stress is just. And that's why other things like if you're eight weeks out from a race and why sabotage yourself what do some meditation speak to someone if you need to speak to someone a sports psych we heard gator on our previous episode in the sports psych so stuff like that is fantastic because if you had a niggle down your itb you'd see a, a bloke like kingy so if you're if there's anything going on in your life that you, you can take care of like control the controllables like the great dr king has said um, you need to control them because why would you want to waste? You, you might have been doing the work for the last four months. Why would you want to waste that now if you're starting to get a little bit of inflammation and, and stress is a big, big driver of that inflammation? And it, it, believe me, it all marries in. Now, I know you're going to feverishly go home and Google this great man. Now, there is a lot of Stephen Kings out there. Last time I... On his birthday, I sent him three photos. Now, we're in Australia, obviously, listeners, so there's a Ruckman for Geelong and St Kilda, but he won a premiership at Geelong, Stephen King. Australian rules football you're referring to. Australian rules football. We talk about footy often on this podcast, but thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Definitely Australian rules football, uh, listeners. Stephen King was a great Ruckman for the Cats and the Saints, 200-gamer, premiership player. He's still an assistant coach at the Bulldogs. The author, the famous crime author, Stephen King, and... For those horse racing fans, yet again, we speak a little bit of racing, but the 1991 Melbourne Cup winner on Let's Elope, Stephen King. Now, listeners, without seeing him, I just want you to get a visual of which one you think he's more like. The jockey, the big ruckman, yeah, the ruckman's 200 centimetres, 6'7 in the old, and 6'7 for you Americans, 6'8, or the crime author. What, are you, what would you put yourself nearest to out of those three? To be honest, I can't actually picture uh, this, the uh, stature of the uh, of the author. To be <laughs> honest, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> I, I'd probably say uh, I would have done okay on Let's Alive back in uh, back in '91. Could not agree more. Now I'm with. May, may have struggled to make weight though. I reckon. Oh please! <laughs> you would have had to have a good meal just to be able to have the energy. Stephen's 48 kilos ring and wet, but he's um, he's a very good man, and we really appreciate his time today. Like without pissing in his pocket, he he's got a lot on the go. With, with a couple of different companies and he's always travelling so I appreciate him popping past we will have him on average once a month in the coach's corner we've got he will be our rehab and biomechanics expert that's what I'm calling you is that right okay yeah. fantastic so you are the runner's radio I'll add that to my uh, email Re- signature I would suggest you put it first forget about all those letters and numbers that come after just runner's radio rehab and biomechanics expert listeners please please Listen to those takeaways from Kingy. As always, if there's any issues with anything, or if you do want to start your running journey, you can hook us up on runners.com. You can find Kingy. We'll put him on the show notes, but I think it's just, just Matt Movement Assessment Tool. Where, where's our Where's our contact for you? Uh, head to mattassessment.com. You'll uh, see a little bit more about what we do uh, around the world. And we will certainly be promoting that as we go. But today was just a bit of a feel and just to see... Listen to the great man and some of his some of his fantastic tips. But listeners, please get out there and do something that's going to make you better tomorrow. Get out there and move and have a beautiful day.